You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. We're going to start with a story about how fire came to be. It's from the Yurok people. They've lived on the land that's now Northern California long before it had that name. The story starts when the world was dark, no light, and no way to cook. We call those uh, wage times. Old women up in the sky had fire, but there were animal spirit beings that didn't. So those wage spirit beings, they decided that that's what they needed to have. Not only did they need it, but the humans that would be coming would also need it. So the spirit beings got to work. And so the most powerful one, his name was Wapekamau. And so he said, all right, well, I will make a plan about how to go get the fire. They'd have to steal the fire from the old women in the sky. Then he called all the animals back together. He said, but I need everybody's help. All the animal spirit beings agreed to help. So he went up to the sky to see the old women. And then when they fell asleep, he grabbed up the fire and he stuck it in the basket. And also the sun stuck it in the basket and he took off. He ran as fast as he could. The old women didn't want anyone to have their fire. And those old women woke up. They're like, what, what, what's going on? And they took off chasing after him. And Wapekamau just went fast as he could. Just as those old women was getting ready to catch him, he passed it off to Bear. And Bear ran all the way up a mountain. Then Bear passed it to Eagle. Eagle took off flying with it, and those old women, they just kept chasing him. Eagle, he dropped it off with uh, Kagat. That's the mountain lion, and mountain lion, he can run fast, man. He was running all as fast as he could. So then he passed it off, and he passed it off to Turtle. We all know how slow Turtle is. But Turtle was also on top of a mountain. So when Turtle got it, he just pulled his head in, pulled his legs in, and he just rolled down that mountain till he got down to the bottom. At the bottom of the mountain, Frog was sitting at the edge of a river. And Frog took the fire and he put it in his mouth and he went under the water. And he just stayed under there. And those old women, they was there, they was waiting, waiting, waiting for him to come up. But Frog didn't come up. And eventually, the old women left. And then the frog came up out of the water, and he spit the fire into the roots of the willow tree. And so that's why we use willow to make our fire, and that's how we as humans were able to have fire to this day. The end. listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host today is Sierra from Mountain View, California. Hi, Sierra. Hi. The story you just heard is all about fire, and so is today's episode. A fire can be super useful, like for cooking. Or super cozy, like a fireplace in winter. Or super magical, like telling stories around a campfire. Ooh, with s'mores. Of course with s'mores. If you have a campfire, s'mores are practically mandatory. I agree. But a fire can also be super dangerous, like when a fire breaks out in a forest. 
These are called wildfires. They can torch miles and miles of woods or grasslands, and they sometimes burn buildings, too. If they burn long and hot enough, they can destroy ecosystems and send lots of harmful smoke into the air. So, Sierra, you wrote in to us with a question about wildfires. Do you remember the question you wrote to us with? I asked, um, how are wildfires contained? It's a good question, and we're going to answer it in a little bit. So what got you curious about them? I got really curious about wildfires last year because last year's wildfire season was the longest and worst I've ever experienced. My family was cooped up inside for months, so not only were we stuck at home because of the pandemic, but we also couldn't even go outside due to the smoke. Oof, that sounds very challenging. What would you say that you learned that will help you this year's wildfire season or future wildfire seasons? Um, I definitely learned, like, to stay inside and definitely not go out when the air quality is bad and definitely to run air filters inside. Was there a favorite indoor activity you had? Well, I was doing a lot of creative writing. Very cool. And what kind of stuff were you writing? I remember writing about this day on September 9th when the sky turned a surreal shade of reddish-orange, and it stayed that way for the whole day. And it was really eerie, like it was like an an alien invasion. And I remember writing about just waking up on that day and wondering why it was so dark. And I remember thinking it was the middle of the night. That must have been a really spooky experience. Yeah, it was. Did your dog react to it at all? Um, she didn't seem to notice. She was just walking around the house like there was nothing happening. (laughs) She's an indoor dog. She doesn't pay attention to what's going on out there. Yeah. Wildfires have always been a part of nature, but according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, they've gotten bigger over the last 40 years. And scientists think climate change will make wildfires worse because climate change warms up the planet, and that makes it easier for fires to start and spread. Climate change comes from having too much greenhouse gas in our atmosphere, stuff like carbon dioxide or methane. These gases are released when we burn fossil fuels in vehicles or factories or power plants. When they go up into the sky, they create a kind of invisible blanket that traps heat down here on Earth. We need some of those gases in the atmosphere to keep us warm, but too much and things go from cozy to toasty. It's like when you have on way too many blankets and suddenly you're sweating. Right. And the more greenhouse gases we release, the hotter it will get. That'll change the climate and weather patterns all around the globe. That's why we call it climate change. And climate change is part of why we're seeing bigger wildfires now. So let's get to Mara's question. How do wildfires start? And how can we stay safe from them and make less? It takes three things to make a wildfire. These ingredients are called the fire triangle. So we also have a musical triangle to play. Can you do the honor, Sierra? Sure. The first thing you need to start a fire is fuel. That's stuff to burn, like dead grass and brush. Then you need heat. Enough heat to light the fire. So maybe from a lightning strike or a firework or a campfire that wasn't put out properly. And lastly, you need oxygen. The chemical element that we breathe from the air 
So that's always around us. In the western United States, the cycle of the seasons feeds this fire triangle every year. During cool, rainy winters, grasses and brush can grow a lot. But then the hot, dry summer comes. And those plants die out, becoming perfect food for a hungry fire. So naturally, forests have a lot of burnable fuel and oxygen, so sometimes all it takes is a spark to get things burning. Even though the big wildfires we see these days can feel very new, there have been fires in the western United States for a really long time. Brains On producer Manika Wilhelm looked into what this landscape was like a long time ago. Hi, Sierra. Hi, Manika. So indigenous people have lived with fire for thousands of years. Margot Robbins told me about that. She lives on the Yurok Reservation in the land that's now Northern California, and she works with fire today to take care of the land. She told us that fire story that we started the episode with. And I also asked her about what Californian forests were like a few hundred years ago, like before Europeans colonized America. At that time, you could easily walk through the forest any place. There wasn't a bunch of brush on the ground. There were fewer but bigger and healthier trees. The trees shaded the forest and gave animals and people leaves and nuts to eat. There were trails that people used that were kept open. And as you walked along a trail, you would have seen a lot of variety. Grass would grow in prairie-like areas, while in other places, big trees had plenty of space to spread out. And it looked that way because Native people took care of the land with fire. Indigenous tribes carefully burned some of the land each year to keep ecosystems balanced. Burns break dead brush and trees down so that their nutrients can return to the forest soil. And some plants can only grow from their seeds with fire. Oh, that's right. Hi, Monterey Pine here. Can I share something about that? Oh, please, by all means. Great. Yeah, so I make these baby trees. They grow from my seeds. And my seeds are in pine cones because I'm a pine tree. But when I first make my pine cones, they're all closed up with this stuff called resin. It's like a sticky plant glue, almost like sap, you know. So the seeds can't get out when that resin is holding my cones closed. My seeds only make it out of my cones when fire burns them up and melts the resin. How cool is that? Or how hot is that? Wow, so no fire, no baby Monterey pine trees. And actually, loads of plants and trees have adapted to fire in similar ways. So indigenous people kept the land healthy with fire. We didn't mow the grass. We burned it. They burned land carefully and slowly, a little bit at a time. And they set fires in very specific places so that the fires would naturally end at a stream or a path or a shaded area. Big trees could survive these calm fires, but these burns cleared out grass, brush, and dead plants. So wildfires work differently then, too. A wildfire that may have been started by lightning, it wouldn't go that far. Remember that triangle of things that you need to start a fire? You need fuel, heat, and oxygen. And it's pretty much impossible for us to control the heat or the oxygen in a forest like California's. They're just always going to be there. But routine burning kept the fuel part of that triangle in check. With less fuel, fires didn't get so big, and they didn't travel so far. So that worked for a long time. But about 150 years ago, these routine burns stopped. The United States of America's government decided that we were going to put out all fires as fast as possible. 
That's Sasha Berleman. She's a fire ecologist who also works on using fire to keep the land healthy now. She says as European Americans invaded the western part of North America, they ignored how indigenous tribes tended the land. We'll use the trees as we please. The skies will be smoke-free. And in every year without fire, more grass and brush and little trees grow. And that means more fire fuel building up on forest floors. The forest isn't getting cleaned, and it's just accumulating more and more trees, more and more down vegetation. And that resulted in just very flammable and vulnerable, stressed-out forests and landscapes. So if a fire did start in these woodlands, it would spread very, very, very fast. And on top of that, climate change makes fires more likely, too. Because it doesn't just heat things up. It changes weather patterns. So we have longer time between rains, but then sometimes we have more rain all at once, which means more grasses and small trees grow until long, hot, dry summers crisp them into fuel. So it's just kind of making all of the weather patterns more extreme and then it's lengthening the overall fire season. So the way that we treat forests and climate change are working together to make these bigger fires more often. But there are ways we can keep ourselves safe when fires burn, and we can do a better job of caring for the forest, too. We'll hear more about that after the break. Sierra, before we move on, we've got some very important business to take care of. Walking the hamsters? Unclogging the hot sauce fountain? Getting Mark's anti-gravity pants down from the ceiling? No, though remind me to do all of that later. Right now, it's the... Here it is. So, what is your guess? Was that an airplane? Hmm. Very good guess. Is there anything else happening? I kind of heard gravel crunching in the middle. Very good guess. We will give you another chance to hear it and guess and have the answer in just a bit. So, stick around. episode about teeth, and of course we're going to talk about everyone's favorite tooth-snatching magical bean. The Tooth Fairy. The traditional Tooth Fairy leaves kids some money for teeth, but if you took over the job, what would you leave under those pillows? Sierra, what do you think? I'd leave good books. Oh, I love that. Any particulars? Whichever that kid wants. Mm, so you kind of know what that kid needs to read at that moment in their life? Yes. I love that. Well, listeners, we want your answers, too. Tell us what you'd leave behind if you were the Tooth Fairy. Record your answer and send it to us at brandson.org contact. You can send us questions there, too, like this one from Holly in California. She wanted to know, is the name of a letter considered a word? We'll answer that at the end of the show. Plus, high five to the latest group of Brains Honor Rollies. So keep listening.
Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly. I'm Sierra. I'm Manika. And I'm back with ways to keep the forest healthier. Part of that is going back to where we started this episode, when Margot told us the Yurok story of where fire came from. While gay spirit beings went and stole it for the people to use. And we're at that time where the people need fire again. Margot and Sasha both work on doing something called prescribed burning. That's when you start a fire on purpose to get rid of all that extra fuel before it becomes too dangerous. So they start by taking a look at land to see how it's doing, how well plants and trees and animals are doing in a space. Um, So we go out there, we make that assessment, and then we write a prescription, hence prescribed fire, around what conditions we would put fire on the ground in. And then we go out there with a group of trained people, and then we will put fire on the ground in a really methodical way that we know we can control to improve the health of the land. They only burn when conditions are just right, not too windy, with a little bit of moisture in the air. They use tools to scrape the ground so that there are lines of bare mineral soil. That acts kind of like a wall, so it'll stop the fire from spreading. So the fire stays where it's supposed to. And so we... We carry fire a little bit at a time across the landscape so that the animals can move out of the area or underground or go up into the trees. And so we can maintain that really close bond with the fire that we're putting down on the ground. And they're hopeful that in time, clearing the land this way will keep these ecosystems healthier. They won't fill up with too much fuel. And if a fire does start, it'll be a less dangerous one. The land depends on people to use fire to take care of it, and the land in turn takes care of us. People took good care of these lands for a long time, and hopefully we'll do a better job of that in the future. So, Sierra, you mentioned that day in September where the sky was that very... How would we describe it? What's the adjective for that orange color of the sky? Surreal. It's kind of creepy and unreal. It's not something you would imagine seeing in real life. Yeah. Surreal. That's a really good answer. Yeah. So that surreal, orangey, reddish color. 
And the reason it was like that you were curious about that too is it has to do with sunlight. So sunlight looks white, but it's actually a, a light that's a mix of every color. And during the wildfires, all the bits of smoke in the sky were absorbing and scattering blue light. So what came through was just that orangey red light. Very surreal. Even if you are pretty far from the fire itself, its smoke can still reach you. So it's important to pay attention to the air quality during fire season and stay inside when it's necessary. And speaking of staying inside, it's time for House Lessons, starring our pals Anya and Amar and a talking house. Coach Sam was being so mean at practice today. He made us run 10 laps around the soccer field. 10 laps. What? I know. It doesn't make any sense. We're the math team. When are we going to need to run? I hear you. Want to watch some cartoons? Yeah, sure. Hey, kids. Ah! Who's that? It's me, Harry the House. Why is our TV talking to us? I'm not just your TV, silly. I'm your entire house. This is just the way I'll be speaking with you both today. Uh, I'm still pretty freaked out. Hmm, how about some soothing bassoon music? Okay, that's a little better. But why are you talking to us anyways? Well, you guys have spent a lot of time inside this year, and I've loved all of it. Especially watching your parents learn to cook. Remember the New Year's Eve popcorn disaster? Don't remind me. I'm still picking out stale kernels from her couch to this day. Ugh, I found another one. Ooh, give me that. So obviously the pandemic was the biggest reason you were inside, but there's something else that also requires staying indoors and spending more time with me. And what's that? Well, do you remember seeing those big wildfires on the news? Yeah, I remember. It looked really scary, especially when the sky turned orange. Yep. That orange color was caused by wildfire smoke. Ooh, like when Dad put the chicken pot pie in the oven for too long last week. Exactly. Except wildfires are way smokier. That's actually what I wanted to talk about. You see, that smoke can be pretty unhealthy for you. It can make your eyes all itchy and red, and even make it hard to breathe. Luckily, your old pal, Harry the House, is here to protect you. I can be your shield against the smoke. Wow, that's good news. But how? It's easy. Just hang out with me. Close all my doors, windows, and other openings. That'll block the smoke from getting in. Oh, and don't forget the doggy door in the back. Of course. We won't forget. Great. Next, if it gets really smoky out, you can set up something called a clean room. Ooh, you mean like how I need to pick up all the clothes and books on my bedroom floor? No, but... Also, yes, go do that. I hate being messy. But by a clean room, I mean a room in your house, aka me, that keeps smoke levels as low as possible. It's a room where you seal everything up, then run air cleaners and fans to keep that air sparkling fresh. You want your clean room to be big enough for your whole family, but also not so big that it can't be easily shut off from outside air. Think of it as a secret headquarters for your house, where your whole family can gather if there's too much smoke outside. Ooh, I like that idea. We can all be special agents against the evil Dr. Smoke. Exactly. 
I don't know if we have a portable air cleaner, though. Is that okay? That's okay. If you're in a pinch, you can make your own by duct taping a pleated air filter to the front of a box fan. It should work pretty well. Okay. That all doesn't sound too bad. But what do we do then? Just sit there? You can do lots of things, but try to stay away from really physical activity. You don't want to work your heart and lungs too hard, especially if smoke is already trying to hurt them. Maybe play some board games, have a costume contest, draw aliens or sharks. Or alien sharks. Or read a book. The bookshelf next to me has been looking rather dusty recently. Mmm. Can we watch cartoons? If you'd like, but make sure to also check on the news and local updates for air quality. Or get an air quality app for your phone. That way, you'll know when it's safe to go outside again. Oh, and no hard feelings if you need to evacuate. I give you my blessing to leave my warm embrace and find a cleaner air shelter or stay at your aunt's house upstate. I know she's always prepared. Thanks, Harry. You sure know a lot for a house. Yeah. Oh, and sorry I drew on your walls when I was a kid. Oh, there's no worries, and it's truly my pleasure. Just tell your parents to go easy on the garlic powder next time. See ya. Okay, let's listen to that mystery sound one more time. Are you ready? Yes. So what are your new thoughts? Well, I definitely still hear the airplane, but now I also hear a construction site. Mm. I can hear kind of the rocks getting jumbled. And I also can hear a thunderstorm kind of with the thunder Mm. kind of ripping through the sky. Very good. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Well, here with the answer is Brains On producer, Sandin Totten. Hi, Sandin. Hey, that sound you just heard was an airplane dumping fire retardant. So you were really close. Nice work, Sierra. Yeah, I definitely heard the airplane there. Yeah, I think that gravel sound you were talking about, or maybe the thunderstorm, that, like, rumbling. So that was this liquid fire retardant kind of falling out after the airplane had passed, kind of like it was dumping it, you know, all across this big empty field. They were actually, when I recorded this, they were testing a new plane to see how well it scattered that fire retardant. And I recorded it by putting my microphone into a bucket and then running off to a safe distance to watch as this orange goo just splattered all over the test site. This kind of goes back to your original question about how fires are contained. Fire retardant is part of how firefighters do that. Um, But when I talk about fire retardants here, do you know what that looks like? Have you seen this stuff? No, I haven't. Sometimes you see it on the news. You'll see pictures of airplanes flying by and sort of dumping what looks like a a sort of bright orange slime or maybe like, um, you know, a big vat of carrot juice or melted orange crayon. It's mostly made of this stuff called ammonium phosphate. And there's a really good reason it's orange. And I want you to try to guess. Why do you think they make it orange? I honestly have no idea. Hmm, orange. Is it because it will, the fire will see the orange and think the fire's already there, so it'll turn and go the opposite direction? 
Oh, wow, that's genius, Molly. Uh, <laughs> that's not the answer, but that's a great answer. Actually, the reason it's orange, it helps firefighters know where they dumped it. So when you're flying really high above a forested area and you're trying to put this fire retardant down, you want to be able to see where you put it and kind of know maybe where you need to put more or where you've already sort of laid it down. And if it's bright orange, then you can easily spot from above and say, oh, we already covered that area. The way this stuff works, this liquid retardant, it doesn't really put out fires so much as it stops them from spreading. And the way it does that is really cool. Okay, so picture this. A tree gets slimed with this ammonium phosphate thanks to an airplane flying above. It falls down, splurt, covers the whole stretch of trees there. Then when a fire comes near, sizzle, sizzle, crackle, crackle, I'm going to get you. So then the fire's coming near to this orange-covered tree. The heat from the fire actually creates a reaction in that goo. It makes the ammonium phosphate in the slime turn the woody material of the tree into an almost pure form of carbon. So think of something like maybe a diamond or graphite. And get this, pure carbon doesn't burn. So the fire will reach an area covered in this goo, and the heat from the fire will create this reaction, and then suddenly the fire is nothing to burn there. Everything was sort of turned into a fireproof shield, and the fire is out of fuel. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. Wow. So when that happens to a tree, can it keep growing afterwards? Yeah, it kind of turns the outside of the tree or the plant sort of into this charred black material. But I was told by firefighters that if you just peel that away, the tree's fine underneath there and it's still growing. So you just it just kind of grows like a second skin of this kind of carbon material that will stop the fire. And then later, you know, that'll just kind of slough off and then the tree can continue living its tree-y life. Wow, that's amazing. And this is just one of the many tricks firefighters have to try and fight these growing wildfires. You know, the classic thing, you throw water on a fire, firefighters do that too. Sometimes they can use a plane and take water from a lake or a reservoir nearby and dump that on a big fire or soak an area to make it less likely to burn. So that helps too. And they can also block fires in other ways, like they can dig up the plants and trees in an area. And that way, when the fire gets there, it'll find a large stretch of dirt where there's just nothing to torch. So the trees on the other side of this dug up dirt, they'll stay safe and the fire can't really get to them. Now, if you surround a fire with a border of this kind of dug up dirt area, it's kind of like putting a fence around the fire that'll keep it contained. That is so cool. So if an area burned recently, can it burn again? Actually, not as easily. In fact, you remember those prescribed burns Manico was talking about? After a controlled burn in an area, that area is way less likely to burn again because most of the good fuel was already used up. So every time we do these prescribed burns, we're creating more zones that could block future fires from spreading too far. So yeah, wildfires, they're getting more intense for sure. But we're also learning a lot about how we can fight them, how we can contain them, and hopefully how we can stay safe from them. Thanks for all this info, Sandin. Yeah, thank you. No problem. All right. Talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. Wildfires happen when areas like forests or grasslands burn. They're natural and important for forests, but climate change is expected to make them bigger and last longer. We can help forests by doing smaller prescribed burns, which helps cut down the amount of fuel for fires. And when it's smoky out, it's good to stay inside and filter the air as best you can. 
Firefighters can contain fires using retardants, water, and by removing potential fuel for the fire. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Molly Bloom, Manika Wilhelm, Mark Sanchez, and Sandin Totten. We had production help from Ruby Guthrie and Christina Lopez, and our intern is Kunsang Dorji. Special thanks to Dr. Rebecca Miller, Nicole Molinari, Amy Windsor, Jennifer and Josh Elman, Puppy, Sam Rounds, Finn Haru, Yishi Searing, and Scott Jernigan. Before we go, it's time for our moment of um. Today, we're answering this question from Holly. She wants to know, is the name of a letter considered a word? Well, I love this question because it, it gets at something very subtle and important about language. And it shows the wiggly edges of the concept word, which it seems like it should be a pretty clear concept. Hi, I'm Erica Okrent. I'm a linguist and I write about language. And I have a new book out called Highly Irregular, Why Tough, Through, and Do Don't Rhyme and Other Oddities of the English Language. First of all, the answer is yes. The letters of the alphabet as we say them are words. Uh, but at the same time, there's something else. They're also symbols. So when we say A, we are using the English spoken word for a symbol. Uh, and you can think about other symbols we use in writing, like a comma, for example. We, we wouldn't say that that tiny mark on the page is a word, but we have a word for it. And that word is comma. Uh, so the letters of the alphabet are symbols. We make written words out of them. But we also have names for those symbols, and those names are English words. And we know their words because the word for the same symbol will be different in different languages. So we say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But in French, they say A, B, C, D, E, F, J. Now, A and A are different words. One is an English word, one is a French word, but they're both words for the same written symbol. We have the word ampersand, but when we see it on a page, we say and. Hash symbol, uh, now that we see everywhere, hashtags, I, that's called an octothorpe. <laughs> and I think that's a, that's a fun name that, that we don't use it very often. So sometimes there's fuzzy edges between, is it, are we talking a symbol? Are we talking the word for the symbol? And how do we read out this symbol? Those are all different things. Um, um, um. These names spell awesome. It's time for the Brains Honor Roll. These are the incredible kids who share their drawings, mystery sounds, questions, and high fives with us. Lexi from Auckland, New Zealand, Michaela and Oliver from Cape Town, South Africa, Nora from Pittsburgh, Fairley and JD from New York City, Serena from Tehachapi, California, Alice from Florence, Massachusetts, Marlon from Toronto, Aria from Lawrence, Kansas, Hania and Erica from Sydney, Australia, Alice, Nick and Alec from Richmond, Virginia, Amelia and Madeline from Beister, United Kingdom, Sullivan from Seattle, Paxton from Magalia, California, Trey from Longmont, Colorado, Paxton from Texas, Bellamy from Fayetteville, Arkansas, Emmett from Needham, Massachusetts, Amelia from Auckland, New Zealand, Hamish from Adelaide, Australia, 
Layla and Raisa from Birmingham, United Kingdom, Truman from Fitchburg, Wisconsin, Vedanth from Germantown, Tennessee, Hank from Nassau Bay, Texas, Sage from Bronx, New York, Ani from Greenwood Village, Colorado, Bree from Ottawa, Arav from Sunnyvale, California, Holden from Miami, Avian from Cupertino, California, Tegan from Elkton, Maryland, Nadia from Sheffield, England, Eden and Jesse from the U.S., Audra from Lexington, Kentucky, Nolan from La Crosse, Wisconsin, Philip from White City, Saskatchewan, Penelope from Queens, New York, Jackson from Evans, Georgia, Ainsley from Oklahoma, Isaiah, Reverie, Arlo, and Nova from Colorado Springs, Alex from Haslett, Michigan, Colton from Concord, California, Nolan from Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, John from Canton, Georgia, Oliver from London, Reed from Jacksonville, Florida, Noah from Colorado Springs, Geneva from Buffalo, New York, Jacob from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Elizabeth from Hawthorne, New Jersey, Alex from Austin, Texas, Henry from Delano, Minnesota, Elijah from Texarkana, Texas, Ikaika from Ventura, California, Abbas from Miami, Kendall from San Antonio, Texas, Owen from St. Paul, Minnesota, Sam from Monroeville, Elliot from Isleford, Maine, Scarlett Eden and Ryder from Bellingen, Australia, Lonnie and Willie Bell from Powhatan, Virginia, Natalia and Nathan from Victorville, California, Lily from Mesa, Arizona, Inti, Carmen and Anahi from Inverness, California, Caleb from Clarksburg, Maryland, Nisa from the Bay Area, Isaac from Silver Spring, Maryland, Strummer and Marigold from Taos, New Mexico, Lavanya from Woodbridge, Ontario, Abigail from Sydney, Australia, Anna Lee from Dallas, Elliot and Miles from Lambton Shore, Ontario, Lewis from Minneapolis, Avery and Maya from Sydney, British Columbia, and Jonah from Linden, Virginia. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.